morning to Matthew chapter 7, and we are uh, this morning in verses 21 through 23. And as I said uh, last, uh, a few moments ago, next week, the plan is to conclude this uh, study in the Sermon on the Mount that's taken the better part of a year. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness and that is God's word let's pray I thank you so much for opportunities to be together as your people to worship and to sing praise to pray, but especially to sit together as a body around your word. We come before it humbly. We come before it to be taught. We come before it to be drawn to Christ. And Father, we pray you would do that this morning as we deal with this particular passage of scripture, words that our Lord spoke. And I pray that you would be with me to give me grace as I preach, and I would preach clearly and honestly and openly, and that through these words we might see again our need for Christ the Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, as you can tell, these verses that I read are just are some of the most somber and solemn in all the Bible. You know, as you read verses of the Bible, some kind of give you different emotional reactions. Some fill you with great joy when you read them. Others give you a great sense of peace. Some give you clear direction regarding God's will. Some fill you with a sense of God's presence or God's glory or God's power. Some impress you with God's great love for his people. His tender mercy, His amazing grace. Others of the scriptures cut you to the quick. They convict you of sin. They show you your unworthiness before a holy God. They humble you. They break you. They show you your need of a Savior. They point you to the cross and to Jesus, the only hope God has given for lost and sinful men. Then there are others like this one that literally put the fear of God in your heart. They tell you things like, God is angry with the wicked every day. Things like, God will not strive with man forever. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
We even find passages of Scripture that describe some churches as so nauseating to God, He spews them out of His mouth. Texts where there are people who either offered false worship, who were deceitful, who lied to God or the church, and God struck them dead. In passages that tell us that there is coming a sure and certain day of judgment. That's what we find here in Matthew chapter 7, these three verses, 21 through 23. Most of us who preach don't relish coming to passages like this because they inevitably become quite personal and quite convicting. But we dare not avoid them because they lay before us a very, very important spiritual truth. And that is, it is possible, it is very possible to fall into a pattern of self-deception. To deceive yourself into thinking that you are a Christian when in fact you are not. Now Jesus' words here come right after he's admonished us. To enter the narrow gate and go down the narrow road that leads to life. Instead of choosing to enter the wide gate and go down the broad road that leads to destruction. And those words come right after Jesus had warned us about the false prophets. Many of whom reject the notion of a narrow gate and a narrow road. And who teach that the wide gate and the broad road will do just as well. And so what you find is there are many people who are on the wide road that leads to destruction who think they're on the road that leads to life. And those are the people Jesus addresses in our text this morning. For them there will be a Rude awakening, a terrible shock, and a devastating end. Yes, these words are solemn, and they are somber. There's no way to get around that. So let's see what Jesus has to say to us this morning about this whole matter of self-deception and how it applies to us. Four things this morning from this text. First, Jesus points us to the clear danger the clear danger of self-deception. Do not be deluded into thinking this is some preposterous idea, something that could never happen, and certainly nothing could, could ever happen or something that could never happen to you or to someone in your family. Because that kind of thinking is dangerous in and of itself. In fact, the reality is that Jesus tells us in verse 22, there are many who find themselves in this situation. There are many who will find themselves one day to have been self-deceived. The mere fact that Jesus has already warned us, warned us about choosing the right gate, going down the right road, hearing the right message, and bearing the right fruit indicates to us that there is the opposite. There is a wrong gate. There's a wrong road. There's a wrong message. And there is wrong fruit. And so we have to be careful Careful to make the right choice. And the greater danger that Jesus exposes to us here 
is it's very possible to think that you've made the right choice when in fact you've made the wrong one. In the previous passage, Jesus had warned us against others who deceive us. He called them wolves in sheep clothing, sheep's clothing. Here in this passage, he warns us against the danger of deceiving ourselves. Now as we begin this morning, I want to caution you once more not to pass this off too lightly. Do not think that it somehow applies to other people and might not apply to you. Do not disregard it as something that couldn't happen to someone in your family or in our church or among your friends or even among those who preach to you or those who teach the Bible to you. It could. There's a real danger and one we need to guard ourselves against with great diligence and caution. That's the first point, the real danger. Then secondly, Jesus points us in the text to the causes of self-deception. That is, how do people get to that place? How do people get to the place where they're so self-deceived to thinking they're on the right path when in fact they're on the wrong one? Jesus gives two primary causes here. And one is a reliance upon what we call head knowledge or simply correct intellectual beliefs or understanding about the Bible and what it teaches. Jesus says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you need to understand here, Jesus is not talking about people who have no understanding about the Bible, who know nothing about God, who know nothing about Jesus or the way of salvation. No, Jesus here is talking about religious people. He's talking about people who understand, who know something about religiosity, who know something about Christianity. Make no mistake about it. The words, Lord, Lord, are the right things to say. Lord was the common name the Jews used for God. You know, the, they considered the name Jehovah or Yahweh so holy they were not to speak it and so they would use the word Lord in its place. And for someone to say Lord or describe Lordship to Jesus was to show they understood, they had the right idea of who he was. And so you need to understand this is, a, this is what we would call a correct or an orthodox statement about Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And the person who says that has a right intellectual, mental understanding of who he is. And it's also apparently something that the person might believe, believe fervently. They don't just say, Lord, they say what? Lord, Lord. They might even argue with you over the accuracy of it. They might even earnestly defend their understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That Jesus is divine. That he is deity. They don't just believe it. They really believe it. In their heart. In their head. This is also a public acknowledgement they've made. It's not something they hold in secret. Something they try to hide. It's something obviously that they hold to publicly. They say, Lord, Lord. 
But the problem is it's something they believe in their heads, but it's something that has not penetrated to their hearts. It's been said before, the distance between heaven and hell sometimes is about 18 inches. Because the Bible says even the devils believe, don't they? The devil this morning could give you very orthodox statements about Jesus, about who he is, what he did, even about the implications of his ministry. The devils don't just believe. The Bible says they believe and they tremble. They have such a clear understanding of who Christ is, they tremble at what they know about him. And yet the knowledge they have has not changed their hearts or their lives at all. And that's the danger Jesus is pointing to us here. People who say, Lord, Lord, who have all the answers, who from our perspective perhaps can even recite the catechism, who may have even memorized scripture, who may have studied theology, who could have gone to seminary? Who could have passed ordination exams? Who could have stood behind pulpits? Who said, Lord, Lord, and yet do not know Him? Do not really know Him in their hearts. And so the first cause of self deception is reliance upon simple knowledge or facts about the Bible. The other cause of self-deception, primary cause, is reliance upon good works or an involvement in religious activities. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Wow, they had a long list of accomplishments, didn't they? They had done a lot of things. They had been engaged in what we would consider to be real ministry. But as we'll see, Jesus does not acknowledge what they had done. He did not earn them any favor with God or caused him to accept them into his kingdom. And their claim to have prophesied and to cast out demons and to perform miracles, they said, we did that in your name. We're ministering in your name when we did that. However, their works of service and their teaching and their miracles were not sufficient to guarantee entrance into the kingdom. Now, how they were able to do those things, we're not exactly sure. The Bible does say that the devil comes as an angel of light. And all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike, false prophets were able to copy or mimic some of the miracles of God. And that happens, the Bible says, to deceive people. To deceive even the elect, we're told. You see, the danger that Jesus is giving here is that it's so easy to be caught up in doing things, even doing things 
that we think are for Christ or in the church. So easy to be caught up doing that we forget the importance of being. It is not first and foremost what you do. It is what you are. It is not all the activities and the busyness in which you may engage yourself, but it's who you are as a person, and what we do must always flow from who we are. The danger for those of us like me are to cheer people on in their business in the church. To encourage them to do greater and greater things, more and more things, come to more and more events. And deceive them into thinking that the busier they are, the more spiritual they are. That's a lie. Who you are in Christ is the most important. And it doesn't matter how busy you are in the church. If it doesn't flow from a changed heart and a new life, it values you nothing. You can't rely on your works. You can't rely on your activity. You can't rely on your busyness. You can't even rely upon your activity and involvement in the church. Because who you are, who you are is most important. Oh, I want you to be busy in the church. I want you to be active and involved. But I want you to do it as a reflection, a reflection of your love for Christ, not in some desperate attempt to earn His favor or to earn His love. And so there are two primary causes for self-deception. One is we rely upon a head knowledge of Christ. Or we rely upon our busyness or our works or activities. Neither of which Jesus says are sufficient. There are also some secondary causes for self-deception. And one of those is a false understanding of assurance. And those of us in the church, people like me, are guilty of contributing to that. We indicate to people that walking an aisle or raising your hand or attending a class or signing a card is all there is to being a Christian. And we do them a disservice if we don't make it clear that as important as that may be, it's of no value if there's no result from it. What did Jesus say earlier? It's by their fruit you shall know them. And if there is no fruit, there simply is no faith. We do people a disservice when we say, well, if you can just remember a day when you did something. Prayed a prayer with the pastor. Walked an aisle at a revival. Raised your hand at the end of a service. Stood before the congregation to make a profession of faith. If you can just remember one thing that you did, it doesn't matter how you live the rest of your life. Oh, yes, it does. Because if there is no resulting change of behavior, there was no initial real trust and faith in Christ. Another secondary cause of the self-deception, the failure to do self-examination. 
as I said last week, to, to look in the, in, the, in the gospel mirror. Mirrors don't lie, do they? This book doesn't lie. As we saw earlier in chapter 7, when Jesus says, you know, don't judge others. Take the speck out of your, or log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. I said then, it's so much easier, isn't it? To try to deal with somebody else's problems than your own. So much easier to examine somebody else's life and point out to them what, what they're missing than to put the bright light of the gospel on your own. Folks, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We have to allow the light of the gospel to shine brightly upon our own lives. A failure to do honest self-evaluation spiritually can lead to tremendous self-deception to think you're one thing when in fact the Bible says you're something else. Then another secondary cause for self-deception is a failure of the church to enact church discipline. Get your attention. How do you get a church of 400 members with 150 in attendance? It's because the church is not faithful to call people to examine themselves, to be faithful to the vows they've made before the Lord to be honest about their relationship with him. Now, church discipline gets people real nervous. It makes me nervous. But it's one of the means of grace God has given to us. It's one of the means of grace God has given to prevent what Jesus describes right here in Matthew chapter 7. So there are several primary and secondary causes of self-deception. Third, Jesus points us to the results of it. I've already alluded to them. And they are terrifying. These are some of the most terrifying words in all of Scripture. The results of self-deception, if you continue down that road, are to hear the words of Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who do lawlessness. Now get the picture. This is someone who's been on the broad road, and there have been lots of people along with him. And all the while, he has thought, and he has probably been told, that this road will do just fine. And yet he gets to the very end and he is, comes to a rude awakening. Because instead of hearing Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy master, he hears Jesus say, basically, Who are you? I don't know you. Now that's not an indication of a lack of knowledge on Jesus' part. To know in the Bible means to know personally. To know intimately. And what Jesus is saying here to that person is, I know about you. 
Oh, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I know your family. I know your church. But I don't know you. I don't know you as my child. I don't have a relationship with you. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, I I don't know you. He says, He says, Depart from me. Now you have to understand, those are the words Jesus uses to condemn a sinner to hell. Later in Matthew, when Jesus is describing the day of judgment, he says that when he turns to the unbeliever, he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. These are the ultimate words of separation where Jesus says, I don't know you. Get away from me. Depart from me. You see, Jesus one day will separate the sheep from the goats. And the goats, those he doesn't know, will go into everlasting destruction. And then Jesus calls them workers of iniquity. Those who do lawlessness. Now remember, these are not necessarily what we would consider ungodly people. These might be considered good people who do good things. But folks, you've got to understand, just being a good person won't get you to heaven. The only way to get to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to have them blotted out, to have a new heart that shows new life. And it's scary. You know, I'm dealing with someone right now. Communicating with him several times a week. Who's done this? Who's abandoned it all? Don't think it can't happen to you. Or to someone in your family. We've got to make sure... Make sure, make sure that our faith is real and is based on the right thing. That we're not depending just upon something that we heard our parents say or the preacher say or our Sunday school teacher say. That we just don't amass a bunch of knowledge about God and believe that's going to save us. Or we depend upon our busyness, our activity, being an officer in the church, a Sunday school teacher, a Bible study leader, a WIC officer, a man of the covenant leader, as important as necessary as those things are, those things won't save you. We can't rely upon our knowledge. We can't rely upon our works. We have to rely upon Christ alone for salvation. And everything that we do must flow from the difference He makes in our lives.
and who we are. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. And won't it be wonderful someday to hear him say those blessed words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Make sure, make sure, make sure your faith is in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And sometimes it's hard. Yet, Father, we pray that by your grace you would apply your word to our hearts. And I pray for all of us here today that you would show us the reality of our faith in Christ. And if we be relying upon anything else, whether it be knowledge or works or business or activity, family heritage, whatever it might be, Father, lead us and point us to the only Savior, to Christ, and to trust fully and only in Him. We pray in Jesus' name.